I stole a bottle of hot sauce from a restaurant today. That was fun. <laughs> I was actually going to make a joke about when you had to run to your car, if you had to uh, jump over all of the empty jars of peanut butter that you stole from your work, just because the thrill of stealing <laughs> empty peanut butter jars from work. No, no I, I don't want to see empty jars outside of work. <laughs> I can't I'm imagine fucking, why. Yeah, I see thousands a day and I'm just I'm over it. But I mean, I got a raise and a promotion at my job, which so. is fucking awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. I just, I don't know why. I don't, I don't know why they promoted me. Because was, you that last option, was that the last option left? <laughs> Listen, I'm going to tell you something about being an adult. Everybody as an adult feels like they have imposter syndrome. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, You're just me, like, I'm what, a big, what, what am I doing? I was playing Beyblades with little plastic preforms the other day. I would just put them under my foot and just spin them. And they're like a top. They're just running to each other. It's real cool. You know, your boss listens to this, right? Yeah, he 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 knows I'm dumb, but <laughs> but yeah. I, don't, I don't know I'd, why me. <laughs> Listen, that's what we all think. I mean, the only people that like are truly confident in their, in their ability at their job are are fucking psychopaths. That's it, really. Everybody else is just kind of figuring it out as they go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess, and it never that's goes away. I- but you always look at adults like they've got their shit together. And you know what, dude? We're adults, and we don't have our shit together. That's so wild that you're calling me an adult. I'm only 28. <laughs> how old was your mom when she had you 20 yeah See? <laughs> and you got a kid you got a four-year-old you had to go when you're 24 you're an adult even if you don't feel like it poor child poor child <laughs> harlan's going to my grandparents house like 10 minutes ago and my kid would jump off the couch and my pop was like don't do that honey you'll get hurt and i was like yeah harlan do it higher then i got on the couch and jumped off too <laughs> you know what you're doing though and we've talked about this before is you're 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 turning harlan into a pro wrestler which is like the last field that she should ever go into (laughs) and you got no one but you to blame that's got it's got nothing to do with vic it's all that's all dalton and not while she's under my roof (laughs) (laughs) okay dad she's out of my house she can do what she wants but while she's under my roof she will not be a pro wrestler all right grouchy dad you know give it like 10 years and you'll be taking her to shows. Yeah, I'll take her to shows all day. No, to work them. No. <laughs> so um, I, this is something I, I read just minutes ago, and it infuriated me. So I wanted to talk about it really quick. But I also have like fun stuff that I did. But I just thought I'd bring it up because it just feels like like the the, the perfect encapsulation of late stage capitalism that we're living through right now. Do you have a printer? Do you own a printer? No. Of course not. You're the wrong person. But you know what it is, right? You know what they yeah, do. I know what a printer is. <laughs> and you know that they've, they've got like those multifunction printers that have like scanners and fax and printer all in one. Right. Okay. So Canon, apparently, on some of their models, program them so if you run out of ink, you can no longer use the scanner or fax functions. What? They Because they want, they want to sell ink. That's right. They don't make a whole lot of money on the printer themselves. They make all the money on the ink. And so they, they made it so you could not scan a document which does not require ink unless you had a full ink cartridge or a, a ink cartridge in there that wasn't empty that seems so evil <laughs> and greedy so fucking but then like okay so right that's a really shitty thing to do it's such like a craven you know money grab from them but then you have to think like what fucking mba inside of the canon corporation thought of this idea like what kind of sick fuck was like this is how we're going to make more money 
Because that's not a normal thing to think. I would have never in a million, and I'm not saying that I'm normal, but in a million fucking years, I would have never thought to do something like that. It is a truly fucked up individual (laughs) who takes a job, number one, that that's their job. They have to squeeze every little fucking cent out of their consumers. to make a corporation more money. (laughs) Well, I mean, yes, but like, but in ways that are so shady and 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 questionably ethically ethically ethical i don't know i'm just it, it really I was like, this questionable isn't. yeah ethically que- <laughs> ethically questionable <laughs> all right Ugh. see this is what happens when you wait a little longer i get a couple of bourbons in me you know um, this is, this is, <laughs> so, but yeah i just like that is such an evil fucking move and for what for what to you make know? money yeah, but then you put that on top of the other thing, which is that printer cartridges have expiration dates, right? For no fucking reason other than to make you buy a new cartridge. Wait, they studies. don't expire. They don't expire. The ink doesn't expire. What? No, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a money grab again. Oh God. Anyway, I saw that and I was like, I was pissed off. I'm glad there's a big class action lawsuit that's that's ramping up to to go after Canon for that. Oh, really? They, they should. Absolutely. Fuck them, man. That's such a, you know, that that's just such a, it's just needless and ruthless and, and dumb. <laughs> that's the, the last thing I was picturing when I came when I logged into the Zoom call was, Austin, what are you mad about today? Fucking printers. <laughs> <laughs> this is not off the presses. So this is like something I literally saw right before I logged on. So I'm like, what the fuck? Ah! <laughs> like, I'm still screaming. You're like, I hate everything, and uh, we should just yeet all these MBAs into space. Not all. Oh. I, I have a couple of friends that I that I know that have an MBA. I have one friend with an MBA. What was that like? Uh, master's in business, business administration. Okay. Yeah, it's a it's the graduate level, okay. like C suite degree. Gotcha. So, oh. uh, Austin, horror yep. movie fanatic. Yeah. What did you think of? the new Halloween that came out that actually leads into what I was going to talk about because I've last October, because I I am like secretly a masochist because I live in New York city. That's masochistic. Um, But then I decided I was going to do like the 31 horror movies in 31 days. Terrible idea. It was a struggle. I got behind at one point. I had to like power through a bunch in one night. It was just bad. So I didn't do that. But I have been like revisiting horror movie franchises for the first time, like doing a full watch through. So I started with uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, I have to say, I, I, I rekindled my love for the third one, which I didn't think I liked. I didn't remember liking, but I do. I like it. It's very good. And then the rest of them are dog shit. Um, <laughs> oh god i know one person is gonna be real pissed off Who? who's gonna be bad daisy no he thinks the same thing he totally agrees wait he didn't like the first one no the first three the first three are great oh, oh sorry okay, okay. that's what i meant i went one two three are excellent one and two are okay. just perfect three's got some weirdness but it's it's really fun after that they drop off i should say that yeah so no okay. i love the first three the rest i'm 90 percent sure the only one i've seen is the remake you should do yourself. It, you should do yourself a favor and go back okay. and watch them. Okay. The first one's like dark, and and that's the one that everybody's like, it's so gross and gory. There's not a drop of blood in it. It's just all the blood is implied. The okay. Second, the second one is a complete parody by the same writer director. He was just like, we're gonna make a comedy, and so he like straight up made a comedy. And the third one is just kind of wild, and it's like 
sort of somewhere in between the first two. It's like there's parts that are serious and try to be scary. And then there's parts that are just like ridiculous and kind of funny. <laughs> um, so then I went back and I started doing Halloween movies because it's been a while since I've seen like three, four, five and six. You know, right. like the, I, I see one and two a, a lot. I've seen the zombie remakes quite a few times and I've watched the 2018 um, a bunch and I watched it again recently just to get ready for the new one. Hey, bro, listen, what if we made Lori Michael's sister? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that happened in They'll the never see one. it coming, bro. They'll never see it coming. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of glad they retconned that. The stuff gets real weird and not, not four, five is dog shit. Uh, it's not good at all. Wait, is that the one that doesn't have Michael Myers in it? No, three is the one that doesn't have Michael Myers. And it's pretty okay. good. That's a good movie. It's just everybody, all the horror fanboys don't like it because it doesn't have Michael Myers in it. Okay. Um, but the new one, I'm not going to, no spoilers. because right, right. I don't, I don't want to do spoilers. But I will say that I think I liked it. I didn't love it, you know. But I also feel like it suffers from that thing where it is the middle of a trilogy. Right. And so okay. the middle movie of a trilogy has to do more work than any of the other movies. Right. Like the first right. one, you're excited, you're back in, it sort of sets things up. The second one has to go in and like do all the work of like really blowing out the story, you know, and, and developing even more characters and adding more and more and more because it's a sequel, but it's also the middle again of a trilogy. So I'm hoping that the third one really kind of delivers. I didn't okay. think it was scary, which I thought was weird. Like there wasn't any of like Michael didn't like emerge from the shadows like he does in some and he seems oh, to oh, I beg know, to differ. He thought he did literally the last five minutes in the movie. He emerged from the shadows. Okay. But the one time, I mean, like you look at the original and look at this and you're like, this is, I don't know. I had, a, I had a few little, little that wasn't a spoiler. Wasn't that, that wasn't a spoiler. No. Um, okay. But I think that there's, yeah, I thought there was a, there was a few, there was a few things that I took issue with, but I, I liked it overall and I'll watch it again. I agree for the most part. I thought it was good, but Keep in mind, I had just seen the 2018 Halloween for the first time the day before that movie came out. And it's really good. And it's really fucking good. And I think it suffered from that movie being almost perfect. And then this movie, which is still good. There's just like freaking uh, one one of the guys and his gang that just had some cheesy lines and the acting was way too over the top. And that kind of was like, oh, man, They're like that kind of stuff takes me out of movies. And I know who you're talking about. And it's a shame because I really like that actor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I watched it with, with Evil Dust tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Watch, I watched it with uh, my partner and he was, just kept going. He's like, is this like a Trump thing? And I was like, yeah, it really yes. feels like yes. it very much. Yeah, is like, that. And then. Yeah, that's exactly what I compared it to. Like, this is what happens when, like, half mind takes over and, like, yep. nobody th- thinks for themselves. Yeah, it's reactionary. It's, yes. it's reactionary uh, gang, you know, group movement. Right. Which, but I, I, I'm, I'm curious to see what happens next. I believe that they filmed both of the movies at the same time. So that right. the other one is ready to go. It just needs to be edited. And so it'll come out next year. At Halloween, probably. Yeah, probably Halloween ends, um, but I think they're both shot, which is good because you 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 know you don't have to wait for a production to kick up, and who knows what's going right. to happen. Yeah, we could be fucking back on lockdown here for now. We don't know. Yep. Um, the only other thing, and I don't want to hog too much time at the beginning, is that I got to see my brothers for the first time. All five of us were together for like the first time in many years. 
Okay, so did they all stay at the uh, Austin Estate? God, no. I think you overestimate how big my apartment is. It's <laughs> way too small for that. Um, now, my my mom and my stepdad and my my four brothers all came into town, and three of them stayed at an Airbnb that my mom had rented, and the other one stayed at, with a neighbor who has a spare bedroom up, up above me. So, and she's a friend. Okay, uh, but it was nice. It's just they just wanted to chill. My mom was like, let's, let's go do things. And they're like, nah, we're cool. Let's just chill and, and all hang out together, <laughs> which I'm fine with. So yeah. no, it was great. It was great seeing them all and just, you know, cool kids. I, I think only one of them listens to the show. So shout out Ainsley. Yeah. 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 I knew who it was. Three years later. I'm Dalton. I'm Austin. And this is If You Catch My Grift. And today we're talking about Ellen Peck. Ooh, is Ellen the generous situation? Is this her? Is this, <laughs> no, this is not her. Are you telling me there's more than one Ellen in there's the world? There's more than one Ellen. There's actually more than one Ellen Peck. It's time to dance! God, she's a. I actually like Ellen Peck more than Ellen DeGeneres. Ellen DeGeneres is kind of a terrible person, but yeah. uh, um, <laughs> I think it's more like if she was just a terrible person on her face, it would be a lot better than her being a terrible person and masquerading as this incredibly kind person, right? Like the queen of nice, and then you're like, yeah, just no. to inflate her ego. <laughs> yeah, it's somebody was saying that when you move to LA, you will one of the other things that you'll definitely if you're in any sort of like. TV or film industry, you'll hear about someone who worked for Ellen and was treated like shit and <laughs> because Ellen's so mean. How dare you eat? <laughs> How dare you take a break for sustenance? You're chewing too loud. <laughs> <laughs> Good God, Alex Jones, calm down. Globalist. Anyway. <laughs> so this might be the one of the greasier episodes we've ever done so just prepare Ooh. yourself this is gonna be there's i'm just gonna say it at the top there's some fucking in this one. Oh, are we talking about <laughs> nope nope not saying it nope not saying it <laughs> uh yeah there's definitely some of some of that in here and and i i do there actually are two women that if you google the name ellen peck you'll come up with probably first there was a um, a feminist who was a child free activist or childless activist, and she the girl thing was like, "Hey, you don't need children to be a woman. You know, you can be right. you can be unmarried, you can be married, but you don't have to have kids. Like, kids is not this. It's like there was a stigma about like women who were married and didn't have ch- chose not to have children, and she was like, "Rah rah, that's not this is not who we're talking about." Okay, the one that we are talking about is um, Elliot Page. No, <laughs> I don't think that was what my mind first went to. Oh no, I almost dead named her. Let's not. Let's move on from that. Listen, that was a stupid bit. Let's just move on from that. So I just want to start the story saying that there's not a whole lot of of direct sources for Ellen Peck because she's she was a career criminal. Okay. Maybe. I I don't know if I, I, you know, I kind of, okay. So here's what I'm going to say. I like covering these types of stories because I am kind of rooting for her. Right. Right. But, but, you know, she is, there's not a lot of source material on her and the stuff that's out there is a little contradictory. So I 
read a lot from different sources, primarily like three different sources. And I kind of pick and chose what I thought was seemed to be the most believable based on the evidence. And that's how I wrote the story today. So just that's my that's my caveat. So you're telling me that you're picking and choosing the facts of the story. No. Okay, no, Fox don't. News. I see you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying that like you, you like you can't believe her because she's a liar, right? And the, right. The, the newspaper stories at the time, like very wildly, even in the same publication over the years, depending on who, because you know you're you're talking about you know people that lie professionally. That's okay. <laughs> I hear you, you can, Glenn Beck. Um, okay, Dalton. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the story of Ellen Peck. She was. Born in 19, I'm sorry, I already screwed up. She was Holy born. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> the editorializing live she, on the air. <laughs> she was born in 1829 uh, in Woodville, New Hampshire, uh, and her birth name is thought to be Nellie Crosby. And at some point, she changed Nellie to Ellen because I Give guess. Me, send me Cocoa Pub. Listen to me now. <laughs> Light it up and take a pub. Pass it to me. Now we're going. Okay. There's there's another reference in here that I know you're going to say something about because I was just like, he has no idea who this is <laughs> other than a rap group. Um, <laughs> uh, she was a school teacher for much of her life. She lived in Connecticut and then eventually moved to New York City. Why New York City keeps coming, showing up over and over again? Very obviously, think it's because there's <laughs> so much. Yeah, there's so much money in New York City that all the rich people were living here. And so that naturally attracts the all of these con artists, artists and criminals. Uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> yep. Um, she claimed to be related to Samuel Morse, one of the developers of the Morse code. Not sure if that's true, but that's something that she always talked about. She also said that her great grandmother was a sister of Noah Webster Come on. of the Webster Dictionary <laughs> thing. I don't know. <laughs> there's, there's zero way to verify any of this, um, but I just thought those were interesting. She actually said that um, she had a family Bible that was passed down to her from um, Samuel Morse. And that when she died, she was going to donate it to Western union because they do telegrams as like them to have this historical piece as like the founder of the telegram and Morse code is like money orders. <laughs> Who knows if that's true. Yeah, that's, that's how true. We don't do telegrams anymore. <laughs> that's not a thing. Yeah. They got to the Western union. Really? Get a money order. <laughs> I've been mo mine. Um, so it was in, while, while she was living in New York City that she met her husband, who was a businessman named Richard W. Peck, hence the Peck. So Ellen Peck is born. Uh, they eventually settled in Spark Hill, New York, which is just a little bit north of the city. And they had three children. I think they were all boys, but I'm not totally sure. And they lived, by all accounts, a really normal life. Like she was incredibly boring. She was a plain dresser. She mostly wore black woman after my heart, like head to toe. She sometimes would wear this black bonnet as well. Big titty goth. Um, yeah. And you know, she was a tiny woman. She was she, a lady of she my was dreams reportedly over here. Five foot, <laughs> five foot three, okay. and about a hundred pounds. So she was a very tiny lady. Um, one thing, and I'm going to cover this. It feels a little shallow to talk about this, but it does really play a part in the story to come is there's a lot about her looks and it's all over the spectrum about how she looks. And if you look at a picture, she's definitely not conventionally pretty. 
And it was a New York Times article that said that she had the face of a man, which was like really problematic. But considering the time that it was there. But at the same time, she also like when people said things like there's a there's a quote that she was demure in manner and faultless in face and form. So I kind of get it. She's got like a unique look. And I think that this is really going to be the crudest thing I'll ever say on there. I think she had like a hot bod. She's a butterface. Dudes were like, wow. But I don't know if that's true because I mean, she was like, you'll see. I'm just going to leave that there because I feel a little uncomfortable talking about other people's appearance. It's okay. I can be the one that gets canceled. It's okay. I'll say it. I'll say it. (laughs) Twitter's catched on at me. Um, So outside of that, there's not much else known about her first 50 years of life. So we don't know anything about like the first 50. That's that's pretty much the only record we have. But shortly after her 51st birthday, this 51-year-old woman, something strange happened to Ellen Peck. Seemingly out of the blue, she packed up and left her home and her husband, moving back to New York City. There's mm-hmm. no reason given for this move. She's just decided to go to New York City. And she took up lodging in a chic hotel in New York, and she went to work. And what did she do? Her first target was a millionaire soap baron named Benjamin okay. T. Babbitt. Okay. <laughs> so Babbitt is an interesting guy because he has not really lasted in the public memory, but in his heyday, in his prime, I mean, he was as big of a public figure as someone like P.T. Barnum. I mean, he was like a household name. Everybody knew who he was, but for some reason, you just nobody remembers him these days. So I thought it was kind of fascinating to read about him. And I'm going to talk you, a little bit about him. Of, if you he, catch my drift, P.T. Barnum. <laughs> oh, for sure. He's going to be a granddaddy. That one might be the one I retire on. That's like the one that I'll I do. Just, we can't gloss like, over that. We did it. Throw in there. <laughs> <laughs> we did it. We, we, we did all the grifters. P.T. Barnum is a big P.T. Barnum and Bernie Madoff. Those will be the two that we close the show on. Backup shop, we're done. Never ending. <laughs> never ending. I'm kidding. We'll do this till we die. <laughs> I gave you my phone number and it was all over after that. Now I get messages with 25 different lines and they all just I say Austin. This is how. This is what Dalton. <laughs> you got it. Eventually, I'm taking a shower. <laughs> Stop and pay attention to me. <laughs> <laughs> So, so Babbitt really exemplifies the American dream myth, right? Because this is not how it works anymore. It did back then. He grew up on a farm, but it was clear um, that he would go on uh, to a career in engineering, opening up his own machine shop at the age of 22. And they built um, machine engines. They built a couple other things there, but he also like was always experimenting with new things. And this is true to your heart. He invented actually one of the earliest versions of a lawnmower. Okay. 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 So I know you love mowing the lawn. Just a dad Especially doing dad people's stuff, lawns. You know, you know what? No way. Hold on. I'm not going <laughs> to skip over that. If you're out there and you don't own your home and you rent your home, you uh, email. Uh, if you catch my graph at gmail.com and let us know, does your landlord make you cut your grass? Because to me, this is normal. To Austin, this is not normal. <laughs> it's not normal behavior. You already pay your landlord rent. You don't owe him labor. That's that's the, that is that is something I'm willing to kind of just lay on and just and here I am. This is my. This is, I'm not changing my mind on that. Let us know. <laughs> Do you mow your grass? 
Um, unfortunately, a flood in 1834 wiped out his business, but it didn't deter him. He picked up what was left, relocated to New York City, and began to manufacture what he would make his fortune with, soap. At first, it was just powder soap. Powder? So there was this like pre... Yeah, they, they you would put it in a bath. There's no showers. Oh, just, they're taking the bubble baths. Bath and then you'd soak in that. Okay. I see, I see you, girl. Relax. Get shot on. When, whenever they whenever they took baths this is not a daily bath okay, uh, okay. society yet well good um, it makes the skin dry out it's not good for um, you if i didn't get dirty every day i wouldn't take a bath every day i, I totally i believe that wholeheartedly <laughs> and you're probably just using the wrong kind of soap but Old spice, was that? um and at first it was just pep- yeah oh, well, I'm, really see that's why dude i was like fragrant stuff i am a sucker for good marketing yeah. have you seen those commercials Please tell me you, no, don't, you don't use Axe, I've do got you? class. Stop okay, it. Good. Just checking. <laughs> <laughs> really? Well, it's more like a bag of ass everywhere I go. <laughs> I smell Chad. No, it's just Dalton. Um, it's Dalton's I, fucking I, I Axe. I anyway, alone, sir. Anyway. Get your mind right. <laughs> i don't know I, i'm not good with the colognes and when i smelled you i didn't go oh that's versace way to go <laughs> uh continue fucking right, so in 18 <laughs> so in 1851 he became the first person to manufacture and market soap sold okay. as an individual bar oh. he's the guy that's why we have bars of soap is this guy figured it out um, his soap was the first nationally um, advertised products. It was sold from brightly painted streetcars with, with musicians, which helped lead to the phrase "get on the bandwagon." So, like this, guy, right, that's cool as fuck. That's right? cool as fuck. I like that. <laughs> like he literally had bandwagons that would go sell his soap for him, and he like he designed this packaging and he called it Babbitt's Best Soap, and it was like it, it was beautiful and it, it just like he was more than an inventor. He was like a marketer. He was a guy that just was like. Hey, I need to figure out how to sell this thing that was once really boring, right? In an interesting way, and he figured it out. And he made a shitload of money. Okay, so a quick question: Did yep. this uh, soap transform to any product that we know now? No, I think it just like bar soap came as a result of this. Okay, so he didn't did, like have a patent on it or anything like that. I don't know. I actually don't know. I, I didn't. De- I don't think I dove deep enough into this guy to kind of see like historically because. Okay. Um, yeah, I just uh, he's not he's just a capitalist. He wasn't somebody that I was was going to spend a ton of time on. <laughs> um, but he um, was the first uh, manufacturer who offered tours of his factories and one of the first that, w- that gave away free samples. So like he's got a brain for marketing, which I think is is that's his big thing. He used the advertising slogans "Soap for all nations," and then he also used "Cleanliness is the scale of civilization." <laughs> So, mm, interesting. Very bold statements, right. but they worked for him. <laughs> um, ba- Babbitt's Best Soap was a massive hit, but Babbitt didn't stop there. He would continue to invest, uh, to I'm sorry, to invent new products, amassing well over 100 patents on things like gun barrels, ice makers, canal boats, and wind motors. Um, right before he met Mrs. Peck, he had been a victim of embezzlement by two of his most trusted employees. These two men the Beckward brothers had managed to steal somewhere in the neighborhood of two hundred to three hundred thousand dollars from the company. Good God, that's a lot of money back then. Oof, yeah, that's a lot of money today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm saying like that's millions today. Oh yeah. Oh, w- w- way, w- multiple millions. 
So he has this like stunning loss and it was a massive scandal and an embarrassment for Babbitt, right? Because this is a guy who's got a ton of money and rich people don't want to come across as gullible, right? right. Like you don't want to admit that he... It's embarrassing. Yeah, it's embarrassing. So um, I don't think it's a stretch to say, like I'm not in the guy's head, but I don't think it's a stretch to say that this is going to create some trust issues, right? He's going yeah. to be a little bit more paranoid about who is around him. And it, it, it's, it's, it's going to be difficult. But Ellen saw this as an opportunity and she staged it so that the, she first met him at a tea social in 1880. He was smitten with her almost immediately and an affair between the two began. God damn, Ellen, you're looking good. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, she's, she knows who he is, right? Because he's in all the right. newspapers. This was a big story at the time. And she's like, I'm going to use that. She's like, I'm going after that man. He's married. I don't care. This is the time of mistresses. And she saw and, an opportunity and she took it. Yeah, but she got to res- respect that. But she also like saw an opportunity with a guy that had just been ripped off. And she's like, I can do that, too. <laughs> Which is you see, typically you think I can fix him. And then Ellen was like, I can ruin him. Yeah, I can ruin him. <laughs> but like, and that's the thing, too. I think that like I kept thinking about it as I was writing and reading about this I was like, this guy is the most guarded that he's ever been in his life. Right. And she's like, that's when I'm going to jump on him. And I'm like, that's bold. Yeah. 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 For sure. <laughs> like, that's, that's something that's, that's, she, she got some balls. Um, so he, uh, this is from the book um, hustlers and convent con men by the, by Jay Nash. And I'm going to read from this a lot because this is actually where I first discovered the story and then kind of went back and researched from it. So here's the quote. He entertained Ellen in his mausoleum-like home on many occasions, and their dinners, each sitting at the end of a long table, were illuminated only by two candles to pierce the gloom of the cavernous manse. I totally, this is like, this is like a scene in a movie, right? With like this huge table and two people at the end. (laughs) That that, that seems torturous. Like, imagine trying to have a conversation like that. Yeah. Hey, does it taste good? (laughs) Writes a note and the butler walks it to the other end. (laughs) Now Uh, it's kind of dark in here. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were a millionaire. Can't you buy more candles? (laughs) Um, She visited his offices frequently and many times was left alone in Babbitt's inner sanctum while he hobbled off to attend board meetings. Mrs. Peck would occupy these empty moments by methodically rummaging through the tycoon's business papers and desk. One of her curiosity-filled searches yielded a portfolio containing $10,000 in negotiable bonds, and these she quickly slipped beneath her dress. Mm. <laughs> so mm. she's now fucking the guy two different ways. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know what? I don't hate it. <laughs> no, I don't I'm either. mad at it. <laughs> I'm not mad at it either. Listen, I, I got to be honest. I don't have a problem with people stealing from millionaires. No. Sure don't. <laughs> and and I think that's a big reason that I do these episodes, even though I know there's probably a better, bigger audience for, you know, more recent grifters. But I feel like more recent grifters steal from the poor because they know they right. can get away with it. Right, right. And old timey grifters were like, fuck that. We're going after the rich boys. Like Robin Hood type <laughs> shit. Yeah, exactly. Um, so a few days later, Babbitt noticed that the bonds were missing. And at this point, um, Ellen had already sold them and stashed the money away. She, she like, she cashed them out quick and was like, whoops, they're gone. Well, I mean, that's um, the best, that's the smartest thing to do really. Yeah. So you now, get caught with cash. Nobody can prove it. If you get caught with bonds. Then- right. Right. Then, you know, then you obviously track it back. Right. 
now she, but Ellen, rather than say anything, she actually volunteered to help Babbitt find the stolen bonds. Ooh, it sounds like the plot of uh, season three of you. <laughs> have you seen that? Watched, have, no. So good. Crystal Olive was in the second season, but let's just forget that. Let's <laughs> nix it. <laughs> but season three is very good. Somebody got murdered, and then Joe and his wife, the guy that murdered, or the people that murdered the person that got murdered, joined the search party to make it look like they didn't do the murder. <laughs> that's, ex- that's exactly what's going on here. Um, so she had convinced Babbitt that it must have been an inside job and that she, as an unbiased outsider, would be the ber- best person to track the criminal down. Babbitt loved the idea, even expressing that it wasn't the value of the bonds that concerned him, but that someone in his company was a thief, right? Because hmm. $10,000 is not a lot of money to this dude. Right. Right. Like, I mean, you and I would be life changing. Devastated. Yeah, I know. Well, devastated that was stolen from us. Right. You know, I don't think I've ever had $10,000 at one time. (laughs) I'm not sure I have either, to be honest with you. Other than like a loan that I had to pay to something, like you used to pay something else off. It's like you hold it in your hands, like, oh my God, this is so much money. And then like five (laughs) minutes later, you're like, oh, here you go. Yeah. Um, I, and I, I don't think that this, I think this is a totally rational thought, right? That he was so concerned. He wasn't concerned about the money. He was concerned about the theft, right? Cause he just had, right. But he thinks somebody in his company did it, but brother, the call is coming from inside the house. <laughs> like, <laughs> but she's, I mean, he's in her spell, right? Like right. she's, she's whatever she's got or whatever she's doing, whatever sort of bedroom athletics are happening. She's, she's got him wrapped. <laughs> oh God. Yep. 51 just having 51. fun oh my god that that's not that old don't cold <laughs> good good i'm glad don't say that bad <laughs> the super grouper 5000 <laughs> she clearly knew what she was doing gave him um, that fucking sloppy sloppy <laughs> jesus dalton <laughs> uh, i'm just gonna keep going um <laughs> sorry continue um, so he, he went on to say that he'd be willing to spend more money than the bonds were actually worth just to catch the person who stole from them, which I think it's a really dumb rich guy thing to say. Right. And I think it was just a dumb thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> now, naturally, an investigation is going to take money if it was to be done properly. So Ellen had Babbitt write her a check for $5,000 for any expenses she might accrue. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, God. That's great. That's great. I love it. Babbitt was happy to do it. He's like, here you go. Here's a check for $5,000. So now she's got $15,000 of his money. And she's pretending to be on his side to find it. Um, The the investigation went on for months. And while she was weaving stories of meeting with shady, or all the while, she was weaving stories of meeting with shady men with connections in the underworlds. And Babbitt lapped it up. He was like, oh, my God, you're doing such a good job. I cannot believe that you're invest- <laughs> like, who are you meeting? with? How do you have all these contacts? <laughs> um, so here's the part. This is what I love, too. Eventually, she went back to Babbitt and said that she had run out of the funds, but that she was close to finding a culprit. He wrote her another check for $5,000. So $20,000 at this point. Yep. Half of it, which she's obtained legally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, under maybe a little under false pretenses. It's not against the law to lie. That's true. Well, perjury <laughs> is a thing, but no, I agree. She's not under oath. I'm happy with her. I'm I, listen. I'm, I'm 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 Team Ellen. I'm for sure. 
this Ellen. I'm Team Ellen Peck, just to be clear. Um, so Babbitt, as it drew on, he started to lose patience with Ellen because the like she just kept going. We're getting really close. We're almost there. We're getting really close. And he's just like, you keep saying that, but we're not getting any closer. And I've, I've given you ten thousand dollars, and it doesn't feel like you're, you know, you're you're any closer. Meanwhile, she's like terrorizing everybody in in his company. You know, she's like <laughs> interrogating his employees and like, where were you on the night of? Where's the fucking money? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so um, he eventually went to call on Ellen at her hotel, only to discover that she had checked out and left no forwarding address. The gig was up. And Ellen was gone. Um, she took off. She she's smart. She's very canny, and she kind of knows when shit's about to hit the fan. And right. she's really good about like getting out before that happens most of the time. Um, Babbitt brought in professional investigators who found Ellen four years later. It took him four years to find. I mean, this guy was mad. You had you had to think right. Because paying investigators for over four years is going to cost you a whole lot more than $20,000. <laughs> and the internet doesn't exist right now. So they're no. having to go by word of mouth. Nope. And they found her back at home with her family in Spark Hill, New York. So, okay, hold on, hold on. The <laughs> husband just like invited her back in. Like, where did you get this money? What did you do for it? I don't care. I missed your baby. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's insane. She leaves and she comes back and, and we'll, we'll continue the story and it's just going to be even more baffling. But uh, yeah, her husband is, is, it's quite the guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, she was indicted on this, but never convicted. So she got off. Okay. Well, I mean, you can't prove it. Um, but well, yeah, you can't cause she sold the bonds and there was no, you know, she took the cash and that was it. Yeah. So, I mean, Not it makes a lot of the law to lie. Makes a lot of sense. So in the midst of her in quote unquote investigation, she's all about town swindling anyone who will fall for one of her tricks. And she starts to get attention for it, um, both by fellow con artists and by Thomas Burns. Burns was the head of the New York City Police Department Detective Division from 1880 to 1895. And he is Ellen's arch nemesis. He would eventually refer to her as the queen of the confidence women. Okay. So he comes into contact with her a lot. <laughs> and he arrests her a lot, but she's definitely like one of his biggest nemesis in this, in the story. Whenever um, I think of 19th century cops, I was like, Hey, that's I don't like to cut your jib. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had some like stuff to read and you could read it in that voice, like a, <laughs> a quoted passage. <laughs> uh, so Burns tells a story as to why she was never convicted. Um, he wrote this. I love this story. That every time her trial date came up, Ellen would suddenly become very ill and not be able to attend the trial. Um, she did this <laughs> over and over again until the judge finally said that if she didn't attend the next trial, she would forfeit her bail. At that point, Ellen suddenly became insane and was sent to an asylum in Pennsylvania. Her lawyer convinced the plaintiffs to forego criminal charges and instead sue her in civil court. When they agreed, Ellen was miraculously cured of her insanity and returned home. I mean, if you get sued in civil court, you ain't got to pay that shit, right? Right. I mean, she's just not going to pay it. Right. She's going to be like, right. take my money. What money? <laughs> I ain't got shit for you to take. 
but she, did, <laughs> but she didn't want to go to jail. So that was one of the tactics that she used, which, you know, we saw with Anne Odelia Distabar, where it's like you can right. fake being crazy because everybody was locking up their wives because of female hysteria. Yeah, yeah. It goes like it has deep roots in misogyny. Oh, absolutely. 100%. But also, sidebar, that's why I feel like, okay, doing this podcast and any, any, any subject we can cover. I don't care if they fucking sue me. I got shit for them to take. My <laughs> yeah. fucking car is not in my name. It's okay. <laughs> I don't have a car. <laughs> mm. So her next victim, I'm just going to include this because of the amount that she got, but she managed to swindle a guy named Dr. Jason Marks. Mark being mm. his last name, mm. which is I think interesting. Very <laughs> of $20,000. I don't really know the story behind that, but she, she made off like a bandit. She also managed to swindle a dude named Jay Gould. You know who that is? No. He is. I know Jay Gould. I do too. <laughs> I just I saw a couple of days ago. I we went to watch <laughs> wrestling in Long Island. Shout out benefactors. <laughs> um, Jay Gould or Jay Gold is cool. Jay Gould fucking sucks. He's a terrible person. <laughs> he is a despised robber baron in his own time. I think history has not done him any favors. Like he's probably more despised now than he was then. Uh, we're going to do an episode on him for sure. Cause I really, this is like, he's the worst of like nasty capitalism for sure. Okay. Um, but the story goes that, I mean, he, he was a notorious womanizer. Ellen Peck entered his life and swindled him of a bunch of money. See, that's like I, the perfect combination there, right? This guy's like hitting up all the ladies. You think he's smooth, all that shit. And then Ellen has her shit under control. She's like, oh, I'll let him think that. Yep. I'll let him think that until I fucking take his money and run. She might have even slept with him because she's definitely not. Been- Ellen Peck fucks. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think should be the title of this, just based on what some of the stories that are coming <laughs> up. Um, so yeah, so she she took an inordinate amount of money from what we reported from Jay Gold, but nothing came out about it. He covered it up. He doesn't want to look like an idiot. Right. He was, you know, one of the richest men in the country. So it was very much like I'm not going to admit that this happened. We're not going to go after her. Just let her take her little piece and go away. Right. I don't blame him. No, I, mean, I don't either. I won't tell anybody either. Because I mean, if you if you look vulnerable like that. How many, I mean, I can't even tell you how many con men were out in New York at that time. And they would have swarmed, even more than they were probably already trying to get at him, right. would have just gone at, was like feeding frenzy on this dude. <laughs> and they should have, because he should have had all of his money stolen. I'll stand by that. Um, yeah, so she would go on to actually start using Jay Gould's name in future scams, which is um, she would claim to have intimate knowledge of Gould's operation and could provide tips for buying and selling for a fee. She would sip Wendell $2,700 from Samuel Pincer, who was basically a pharmacist using this tactic. Um, as the scam went on, Pincer became more and more inquisitive as to how Peck was investing his money. To which she wrote him back claiming that actually it was going very badly because he had ruined their scheme. She accused him of talking to Wall Street operators who were now acting against them. So, oh, wow. She takes his money and then she says the investment doesn't do well because he started blabbing about the investment and that certain Wall Street operators were were depressing the stocks that they had invested in. So she's like, you lost your own money. It's got nothing to do with me. Wow. Did he even take it to court then? 
No, did he just think his money got lost in the stock market. Well, no. So he finally he finally was able to confront Peck in person and he asked for his money back. You know what she did? She laughed at him, said, no, you're not getting anything back. <laughs> oh, man, the ball is on this girl. I know. Right. Um, in the end, it was actually Dr. Marks, not Jay Gould or Pinzer, who made a report to the police that would lead to Ellen's second ar- arrest. Um, I'm not sure how, mo- how long she was away for. She she had three or four uh, stints in prison, but the stuff that I saw was all very, it was weird. It was like she always got busted for the small scams, never got right. busted for the big ones. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the way it goes sometimes. Yeah, she just couldn't help herself, though. Like, you know, like she went to jail on uh, like one scam for $250 and was like, but you got away with $20,000. Like, why are you even, right. like, you just can't help yourself. You got, you like, you scammers got a scam, man. You just can't, can't stop. make dollars, man. I know that's it's, it's, it's wild. So I'm really for this. I'm just, you know, focusing on fair, the bigger ones in the 1800s, $250 to buy a house. Right. But I mean, by comparison, she's got $20,000 from, you know, Babbitt. Right. right? And she's taking $2,700 from Penzer, right? And who knows what she got from Jay Gould? Like, there's Do you just... think she has that money stashed somewhere, or has she well, gone through it all? We'll get to that. Okay. Um, so upon her release from prison in 1892, she returned home to her family in Spark Hill and lived once again in domestic tranquility for two more years before the urge to rob more rich men overcame her again. It's just a thrill at this point, right? It's It's, I don't know what it is. Yeah, I think it is. This is a pattern. Like she goes and does crime and then she goes back to her husband and they live fine. And he doesn't know anything about any of this shit. Right. He just thinks that he's got this sweet old wife who goes to New York and gets snagged into to, to some seedy people and goes to jail for it. <laughs> she doesn't know he's out there. That his wife is out there fucking these other dudes and taking their money. Right. So she uh, relocated to an elegant Brooklyn hotel uh, where she rented a suite of rooms and posed as the wife of an admiral in the Danish Navy. It was under this premise that she began taking out numerous loans from banks throughout New York. Some estimates have her take at $50,000 before bank investigators showed up at her hotel, but they arrived too late and she was gone. Wow. And she did all this like without identification or anything. Yeah. That's the crazy thing. Like at this point in time, banks will just give people money based on their reputation and you can fake that. It was so easy. Wow. Like it's no wonder that this is like a prime time, like post civil war America. It was a prime time for these people to come in and steal as much money as they could. Yeah. You live in a war torn country and I don't know. It's just uh, easier back then. Yeah, I'm just going to for, for a certain people. It's right. easier back then for a certain people. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, she, again, I just want to stress, she was doing all kinds of little small hustles, too. Like, she was a forager. She had, you know, she had all kinds of other things going on. When she wasn't seducing her marks, uh, her preferred scams usually involved forged or invalid land deeds, jewelry heists, or stolen bonds. Those are like her, her bread and butter. Where is she getting all these stolen bonds for? Is she like doing some James Bond shit and breaking into the house and stealing it? <laughs> well, you'll hear. There's another. There's a story about how she got her hands on some bonds. Um, call me Peck, <laughs> Ellen Peck, <laughs> shaken, not stirred. Uh, a- after the gig was up as the admiral's wife, she didn't return home um, between the big scores this time. Rather, she relocated to a brownstone 
where at the age of 63, she set her sights on her neighbor, Dr. Christopher Lott. Lott, according to that book, Hustlers and Conmen, was, this is greasy, an octogenarian whose sexual appetites had apparently not dwindled with the wrinkling years. The athletic Mrs. Peck not only wore out the doctor with her bedroom exercises to the point that he had to quit his practice, but exhausted his life savings of $10,000, which he gave her in daily installments. Inside of a month, he was, in, he was a physical wreck and financially ruined. Later, Dr. Lott exclaimed, she was the last great craving of my life. That coochie was still getting thrown out there at 63 years old. And he had to quit his practice because of her. But they were fucking so much. That he yes. quit his practice. They didn't have Lou back then. How the fuck is she? Not, what? She is 63. It gets even worse. Like he was physically such a wreck that he was bedridden after she got done with him. Man, fuck milk. Get me a gilf. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy. She wore his ass out in bed. Huh. Huh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So it, it does seem that Ellen had at least some compassion um, with for Dr. Lott. Um, she moved him into her house next door and hired a nurse to take care of him. Right. She was like, I, I ruined you. Come over she here. She threw that thing on him so hard that he needed a nurse. Yes. He was bedridden with a nurse. Oh, my God. She wore that dude out. So, <laughs> so this would have been a great time for him to have Blue Chew. Blue Chew, hit us up. Sponsorships <laughs> are available. I would love to read an ad on this show. So the nurse, whose name was Nellie Shea, um, accidentally let it slip that she had about $4,000 in life savings stored away. Mm. <laughs> and Ellen seduced her. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And stole the $4,000. Okay, a 63-year-old bisexual in the 1800s is not something you hear about very often. <laughs> and I'm all for it. Like, I'm yeah, really, yeah, yeah, like, for I'm sure. like, <laughs> I'm just saying, back then, they weren't around so much. Yeah, she just was, like, probably having some casual talk, and the nurse let it slip that she had $4,000 in savings, and I was like, oh, hey. hey what'd that mouth do, girl? How you doing? <laughs> you want to see why he ended up in bed? Let me show you. <laughs> My tongue is like a tornado. Oh, God. No. <laughs> I was keeping it PG-13. <laughs> not here, you're not. Um, she was arrested again in 1897. She was 68 years old and sentenced to five years in prison. Um, she didn't serve the entire sentence, but I can't find a source for how long she was actually in for. Um, once again, after her release, she returned home to be with her husband, Richard. Richard's faith in her innocence never waned. He believed that his beloved wife had been caught up with bad people and suffered as a result. However, oh, man. Her, her children <laughs> disowned her. Like After a while, they were like, we don't want any part of this. They left. They had no contact with her. They completely cut her out of their life. Poor Richard. He was... Listen. Richard was on the receiving end uh, of that fucking that she was laying down on other dudes. So he, he was, he, he must've known what a good thing he had. I, I guess. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, devoted, devoted. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. I mean, and, and as far as I know, he never knew about anything that she was doing when she was in the city. I mean, love definitely puts blinders on. Oh, never, for sure. uh, yeah. 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 Oh, for like, sure. She, 
She would never. (laughs) (laughs) You say not about my my dear sweet Ellen. Absolutely not. Never. (laughs) (laughs) So in in addition to taking money from rich old men, Ellen, she kind of had like a sense of humor and she loves stealing from other criminals. (laughs) So, all right. Does she get pregnant at all during this time? No, I think, no? I mean, well, now we're talking, she's 68 at this point. She's definitely post-menopause for most of the story. How is she fucking then? You can still fuck after you have menopause. You just can't have yeah, babies. But it like, it don't get like wet no more, does it? I don't. Yeah, I think you could still have a very normal sex life post Post menopause, women post menopause, hit us up. Catch my goof pod on Twitter. Let us know if you still fuck. <laughs> you're losing the two. You're losing the two women that we have that listen to this podcast. <laughs> Hi, Jill. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> Reba, I apologize. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so she was. She set her sights on um, a new guy whose name was John D. Grady. Grady was a diamond broker by trade, but he also ran. This is like such movie shit that you don't expect to actually be in real life. But he also ran a thieves exchange where he would buy stolen goods. What? Yeah. There's a fence. Yeah, he was a fence. Oh, my God. This is incredible. Right? <laughs> this out of every every story we've told, I think this should be a movie. This is the one. This yes! story is the one that need the characters in this movie or in this story are so cinematic and perfect for a movie. Oh my god, this is incredible. Keep going. Yeah, so he was a he was a fence that apparently would buy up to ten thousand dollars in goods per day because he had a he had his actual real business, which was a diamond dealer. Um he would eventually run a crew of thieves in New York called the Grady Gang, and their biggest heist was a two million dollar robbery of financer Rufus L. Lord. what an unfortunate name so he's a diamond dealer he's a fence and he runs a gang of thieves okay okay there's there's he's pretty cool there's not a whole lot about him so pretty cool is an understatement this dude might be the coolest (laughs) guy on earth (laughs) so he was very well known to police but he was well connected enough to never have been arrested so he, he he managed to avoid the law because he got the influence, I'm sure he was bribing cops. Right. No doubt about that. Um, so there's a few stories about how her and Grady got mixed up. One of them was that she convinced Grady that his $21,000 worth of diamonds would be safer in her cupboard than they would in his vault. She explained, apparently, allegedly, quote, after all, Mr. Grady, who, who would think to look in such an unlikely place as my pantry? Okay, this definitely happens during sex, right? This is this is something that definitely she was throwing it down. Like, listen, okay, it's not going to be safe in your vault. Just leave it at my house. He's like, oh yeah, sure, okay, whatever you say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's one story that he 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 said, okay, I'll trust you with these, and she took off with them. Um, and I gotta, and keep, I gotta remember, this is not a video podcast. They cannot see me bouncing <laughs> up and down as. <laughs> Only I can. <laughs> playing playing the role of Ellen Peck is Dalton <laughs> bouncing up and down in his chair right now. <laughs> um, so another version was that she convinced Grady that she could help him sell off the gems to all of her lady friends who had a lot of money to spend. He gave her the gems and she took off, um, mm. which also I think is believable. Yeah. The third story I heard, again, a lot of sources reporting different things. Something happened with these two. She definitely stole either money or diamonds from him. 
but she managed to fool Grady into handing over a, a bunch of money for a rent receipt, which was basically like something like a safe deposit box. Like she's like, if you take this receipt to this address, there's a safe deposit box has a bunch of diamonds in it. Pay me up front. I'll give it to you. Then you can have whatever you keep in there. He shows up. The, the bo- deposit box is empty. He gets ripped off. So either way, tell it that she took it. She robbed him. She robbed him and yeah. she knew who he was. <laughs> like She knew that he was a big deal because at this point, she's a big figure in the underground, like the criminal underground as well. And she has no scruples about ripping off other criminals. She loves it. No honor amongst thieves. That's that's literally the next line on here. <laughs> <laughs> so um, she eventually got nabbed for a bunch of other charges and she stood trial again. She was facing 25 indictments. This is nothing to do with. Grady, Holy shit. Yeah, she was. This was like she this was like all of her little schemes kind of caught up with her. But she was a pro and not just at stealing. She was also really good at avoiding prison for the most part. She had a few stints. Um, She was a spectacular witness in her own defense. She would show up to court with her little bonnet, looking like a kindly old grandmother. And she knew exactly what the jury needed to hear and see. And she was acquitted of all charges. Wow. That's incredible. It's the best of both worlds. <laughs> no. If you think about it. Yeah. You're a 63 year old grandma and you've got a whirlwind. Oh no, pussy. she's she's almost in her 70s at this point. You're a 70 year old grandma and you've got a whirlwind pussy. <laughs> <laughs> she's living the best of both lives. Look at this her. I, this is why I wanted to talk about her because I just like her. I, I'm like, I would want to be friends with her, but I would also probably have my wallet stolen. Oh no, no, no. You're you're not gonna fuck her. It's fine. No, I know, but she would just, we'd just be hanging out at the bar and she'd take my wallet. <laughs> um, it, wow, it was these charges. Oh, Ellen. <laughs> Damn it, she got my credit card again. <laughs> I got to stop hanging out with her. <laughs> but she's so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> Except she leaves early and I thought she paid the tab, but she didn't. <laughs> um, so it seems like in this point in her life, she's not, she stops with the, the sexual antics. And and she just starts to kind of lean into other types of cons. Um, she is in her mid seventies at this point. You got to at some point. I mean, the hands of time catch up to you eventually. Yeah. So she, I mean, she's in her mid seventies at this point. So she's, you know, she's got to do other things. Um, so shortly after she's acquitted, she manages to swindle a Cuban jeweler out of $12,000 worth of jewels. Uh, but this left her with a problem. She needed to get rid of the diamonds, but she had burned Grady, who was her fence. Mm-hmm. So why the predicament? Yeah. So he was, he couldn't fence up for her and he's the perfect fence because he's a diamond dealer. Um, her solution was to put an advertisement in a newspaper to try and find a buyer and his luck would have it. A buyer surfaced. His name was Julius uh, Columbani. Columbani. And rather than cash, he would be willing to exchange her diamonds for Richmond County bonds. Richmond County is Staten Island. Okay. And these were uh, as good as cash, and they were real. One of the six boroughs. <laughs> One of the five boroughs. Along with New Jersey. Jeez. <laughs> Charlie's <laughs> screaming right now. <laughs> um, so what she didn't realize is that Columbani was himself a con man and the bonds had recently been stolen, meaning that they were way too hot to sell outright. So Ellen. Oh, no. Had been conned. Helen, Ellen, you're better than this. You should know better. <laughs> so this is when Ellen's nasty side comes out. 
she was enraged that someone got one over on her. And so she hatches a plan to get back at Columbani, um, again from hustlers and con men. Rather than risk fencing the bonds, Mrs. Peck went, went to her arch enemy, police inspector Burns, the man who had tracked her down and arrested her on numerous occasions and revealed the Columbani's and revealed Columbani swindle. Burns and Mrs. Peck set up a trap for the thief in a room over the sixth Avenue saloon to which Ellen lured the con man on the pretext of acquiring more bonds. She had been careful to inform, inform Burns that she had paid her own cash for the bonds, never mentioning the diamonds that she had gone from her marks. Okay. So she goes to the Ellen. Ellen, I liked you, girl. I really you did. Got the cops involved. But yeah, you can't be a thief and a snitch. <laughs> like you can't. You can't do both. You got to pick a lane. But she was lying to the if cops. You get got, she lied to the cops about it. Yeah, she did. But she still, she still went to the cops. That's the problem. If you're gonna, if you're gonna keep getting, you're gonna keep getting until you get got. And when you get got, you just gotta get got. You can't get got and then get somebody else. Well, let me read the rest of the story because there's an interesting twist to it. Um, the rendezvous scene was luridly melodramatic. Uh, um, Columbani arrived and demanded more diamonds, waving bond certificates in the air. Ellen Peck nervously knocked over a lamp, a prearranged signal to Burns. His detectives burst through the door. Columbani drew a revolver and shouted, you bulls will not take this man alive. Standing to one side as the thief kept the police at bay, Mrs. Peck opened her purse and withdrew her own revolver, which she coolly fired at the only man to ever victimize her in a con scheme. The bullet pierced Columbani's hand, and with a shriek, he dropped the revolver and dove out of the window, crashing to the pavement below. Policemen who carried him away with arms and legs broken as Ellen Peck peered smugly from the second story window. Like fucking Michael Myers. Right? It's like a movie. <laughs> Even the dialogue is like, you coppers are not going to get me. And then she's just like, okay, well, I'll shoot you. <laughs> the shooting at the end. I I forgive her for the police stuff a little bit. I think that that's just such a badass move where she's like, fuck this guy. Boom. <laughs> So that's so she got back at him and and she um, would continue to use those bonds. She had a bunch of schemes based around the bonds. But we are going to talk about a dude named Franz Mayer. And this guy, from all I've read, kind of fucking sucks. Um, He's one of those like rich dudes that wants to like look and feel tough. Um, Like John Mayer. (laughs) I was thinking like those like rich children of assholes who decide they want to go big game hunting in Africa. Okay. Because okay. dad never left, loved them. And they were like, they have something to prove now, but they've never actually worked a day in their life or earned a dollar. That's kind of, that, that shit is sick. It is by the way, that right. shit is fucking disgusting. Right. So his- like, I don't have, a, let me throw this out there. I don't have a problem. If you hunt, I used to hunt when I was younger, but everything we killed, we ate. It went into the freezer and it was for sustenance. Right. Not game. I grew up very, if I grew up very poor, like if we didn't hunt, we wouldn't have had fucking food. <laughs> no, I <laughs> so totally if agree. If you're gonna if you're gonna hunt, don't fucking take pictures of your kill. That shit's fucking it's classless, it's trashy. Also, don't just eat the shit. Don't fly to another country just to kill a specific game animal. Not an eat animal, like an animal for sport. It's it's disgusting. 
these fuckers do it because they can't get their fucking dick hard anymore. Yeah. And this is the only thing that gives them any fucking significance. Don't don't get me started on big game hunters. Okay, this I can go off on this tangent for hours. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree with you on this though, hundred percent. It's like it's just disgusting, and it's it's fucking it's gross, and it gives people that actually do it for food a bad name. Right, I agree. I totally agree. We are in alignment. So instead of big game hunting, this guy was not a big game hunter, as far as I know. What he he had made a lot of money from a sign making business, but he was a patriot, and so he had. <laughs> <laughs> I love the fucking accent you just threw. Hold, hold on, I can't skip past that. He was a patriot. patriot. Come on. Well, that's how I say. It. I don't. I don't actually. I can't actually say it without an accent. Uh, just because I feel oh, like there's oh, so much. I forget you're from New Orleans. L- well, Louisiana. That's the right state. Oh, shit. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I just did the shit I hate when people like ask me like, oh, you're from Georgia. How, uh, are, you, are you from Atlanta? No. Are you from like close to Atlanta? No. <laughs> How far away from Atlanta are you? Motherfucker. <laughs> I'm Florida away from Atlanta. <laughs> right. <laughs> like I can run five miles and be in Florida. <laughs> I just can't hear the word patriot without that accent on it. I don't know why. It's weird. Seventeen seventy six. That's why. Well, that's why. I, like, I tell people like, if I go abroad and I, I travel internationally, I tell people I'm from New York because I just can't bring it to tell them that I'm from America. <laughs> so we got the crab bowl here, and then we got a shrimp bowl over there. Make sure you throw the corn and potatoes in there. Don't forget the old bay. <laughs> old bay. What are you? you uh, oh god! Uh, oh god! Old bay. Just, uh, come on! I just offended the cage. No, you <laughs> fucked up, man. Why will you say Tony Sasseries? Oh, okay. I mean, old bay old is Maryland like, shit, man. Bro, that's seafood. Like, you just fuck you throw old bay and seafood. Throw fucking Tony C on some chicken or some shit. Brother, old bay is that is some northern aggression shit. No, fuck, man. You get some seafood, get a crab bowl going, throw some old bay in that shit. I mean, I do it, good. but I'm just saying, you gotta be careful who you talk to. You, you start promoting that you lose an old bay, they're gonna know you're a socialist. Fucking listen, fuck Louisiana, fuck the Saints, no dirty birds. <laughs> is this what happens when we like take our gloves off and we're like, all right. <laughs> It all happened because of the state, the Saints Falcons uh, rift. Fuck Drew Brees. You <laughs> <laughs> retired. Yeah, but I like Jameis. I like Jameis a lot. I'm, I also love FSU and Jameis's fucking Seminoles alumni. So I can't hate him. <laughs> <laughs> I never said I hated the Falcons, by the way. I just said that I was raised in a Falcons hating household. <laughs> they hated the Falcons and the, and the Cowboys. And that was it. Those are the two. Hi, and it was hi, Karen. If you're listening, yeah, she's not. Trust me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I talked about this woman's pussy earlier. That's why she's not. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! What were we talking about? We were talking about that the, this Franz Mayer guy, the rich boy who didn't. Oh yeah, John Mayer. Okay, Franz Mayer. Your body's a wonderland. Let's go. <laughs> so he had a sign making company, and he was a patriot. Uh, that was right. raising a regiment of volunteers to join Teddy Roosevelt and the Rough Riders in the Spanish-American War. Whoa, this okay. I I clearly have no idea of when our history takes place. <laughs> I thought Teddy Roosevelt was like way before the Civil War. No, he was a way after. No, not a okay, way cool. after, but he was after. So, you know, Teddy, the Rough Riders were like Teddy Roosevelt's um, l- like military LARPing. Like it was like his January 6th is that he got all these. <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding. He got all these fucking rich fucks that uh, wanted to feel like they 
were tough and important. And so he, he would, you know, he got this posse together and they went down to the Spanish American war and they're a bunch of idiots and they just did more. They caused more trouble than they did good. It's, it's like, well, keep in mind, he also became our president later. I know that's the sad, that's the sad ending to that story. Which I can also see happening today. Yeah, absolutely. Some <laughs> rich idiot with like a gun and a bunch of his rich friends with guns go down to a foreign country because they want to shoot brown people. And then we elect him the president of the United States. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> checks out <laughs> history doesn't repeat itself but it certainly imitates time is a flat circle oh my god it, it, it rhymes that's what it is history doesn't repeat itself but it rhymes <laughs> um we live in a society <laughs> so before departing he wanted to make sure that his family was taken care of so he decided to sell stocks of the company to raise cash. So he's like, I'm going away. I don't know how long I'll be away. I want my wife to have to not work. So let's, let's raise some money for her. That way she's, she's fine while I'm gone. Um, so enter George Van Zand and Hugh Mason. they were two businessmen who, uh, who had a deed for uh, 10,000 acres of coal and woodlands in Kentucky. And I mean, we've, we've talked about this before. There's nothing that will make you wealthy like land ownership, even today, like general, right. like people don't sell land. They just pass it down through the generations because it's a, it's, it's, that's how you make money. You own land. People don't sell land. They rent it to poorer people yeah. and take their money. Yep. Yep. And this was true even back then. So mayor jumped at the idea, even if it was against his initial goal of raising cash, he wanted cash, but they walked in with land. He's like, this is even better. So let's do it. He, um, turned over $46,000 worth of stock against land that they said was worth $50,000. So he's even going, I'm clever. I, I took these guys for $4,000 and you know they, they seemed happy with that arrangement. Um, soon after, a woman named Miss Jessie B. Seal also approached and said that she was referred by Van Zandt and, and Mason. And she had um, some mortgages on a, a property near Atlantic City, and exchanged them for an additional 8,000 shares of the sign company. So she did the same thing. Then right. arrived the final suitor. Donning an alias, Alan Peck saunters in with an offer to purchase shares of the company in exchange for the deed to 8,000 acres of land in Presidio County, Texas. She convinced Mayer by telling him that she had, quote, always wanted to go into sign, the sign-making business which is such a stupid fucking line that anyone what the like, fuck does that mean? When I grew up, I dreamed of painting signs. Well, you, you <laughs> fall for this. You deserve to lose all of your money. <laughs> uh, oh God. The most boring child. I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a doctor. I want to paint signs. I want to work for the post office. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he sold her an additional 15,000 shares, but what he didn't know is that Van Zandt Mason and Seal were all working for Ellen, and he had just sold the majority of his company to this little gang. So he assumed mm. they all had separate interests and that he could, you know, control that interest. They swooped in action. They voted mayor out of his own company as the prime as the primary wow. shareholders. <laughs> they hired a guard at the office who was instructed not to permit mayor entrance and then quickly began liquidating the company's assets. And they moved fast. <laughs> Um, mayor freaks out. And when he goes to examine the deeds he exchanged for his company, he realizes that they were all forged documents, 
So he signs over real shares to his company for fake mortgages and deeds. Okay. Well, I mean, I did say it was not illegal to lie, but it is illegal to commit fraud. Right. <laughs> so he, he does contact the authorities, but by the time they get involved, Ellen's crew had sucked every dollar they could out of the company with astounding efficiency and mayor was ruined i mean he was done he even claimed in the newspaper article i kind of laughed at this because it's like fuck this guy um he claimed to not even be able to pay the interest on any of the mortgages of his four homes <laughs> like boo that is disgusting boo, <laughs> boo. yeah <laughs> oh four homes oh you fucking asshole yeah, so they said that they they bled almost a hundred thousand dollars out of the company before. Let me throw this out there. I'm kind of copying a friend's stance on this, but I don't care if you own if you own your home, that's fine, that's great. But if you own more than one home that is not for like business purposes, go fuck yourself. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> you should be taxed in the fucking oblivion. Yep. And you should have nothing. Yep. You should have fucking nothing. Yep. I, I totally agree. I have nothing, nothing funny to say. I actually just <laughs> completely agree with that. Um, so in the end, <laughs> Ellen's a slippery character. Mason and Van Zandt uh, took the fall for this. Ellen was never prosecuted. I'm not sure how that happened, but she somehow got away scot-free with this. <laughs> <laughs> she was sliding on that slippery, sloopity. No, no, no. Not gonna make that joke. She is a 70 year old woman. <laughs> She, she is your elder. She demands respect. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She went on to to swindle a New York real estate firm out of $2,400 in exchange for more bogus land deeds, but was apprehended shortly after at 79 years old. Ellen Peck was sentenced to 10 years in prison. Holy fuck. 79 years old. Yep. That is insane. No. See, I have this really bad habit of thinking every old person is like my grandparents and like just gentle and kind hearted and can never do any wrong. And I realize old people are just people too. Yeah. Like <laughs> the crazy I mean, but I always like keep thinking about like the crazy thing is she didn't even start this until she was 50, 51. Well, that's kind of like a midlife crisis taking effect at that point, right? I think it's like, I wouldn't say it was a crisis. I think she's having a good ass time. Except yeah, for the yeah, jail yeah, stints. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's living abroad and fucking I, millionaires. <laughs> I love it. I love every part of this. <laughs> um, Except for uh, old Robert. Robert, right? Oh, her husband? Yeah. Richard? Yeah, Richard, Richard. Except for poor old Richard. I... <laughs> You don't feel bad for Richard? Maybe a little, but I also just think, I don't know, maybe, maybe he was, maybe he was an actual cuck and was like into it. <laughs> you went home and you fucked who? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> I mean, they, they didn't have iPhones, so she couldn't have recorded it at the time, but. Uh, FaceTime me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> never, never mind. FaceTime over Telegram. What are you doing? <laughs> I fucked this millionaire. Stop. I hollered your name. Stop. I would give him that <laughs> 5,000. Stop. Christ, <laughs> uh, fucking double twist action. You know, for anyone that is, that is still listening, I, I told you this was going to be a greasy episode. I just, I warned you up front. Dude, listen, you, you, you tapped into like prime Dalton material. <laughs> I should have a stand up special. I'm really good on this one. <laughs> I've reached my peak. Um, so he I'm editing all of that. <laughs> no, you're not. You're going to leave it in coward. <laughs> <laughs> I almost said she slotted away on her slippery, slopey pussy. 
<laughs> Those words almost came out of my mouth. They just did. What do you mean they almost? They just came out of your mouth. <laughs> she was grabbing the flaps like they were handles and just oh, riding down. Jesus the- <laughs> Christ, Dalton. I was fine until then. <laughs> Damn it, Dalton. <laughs> oh, keep going. I, yeah, I have to. We're we're too far now to turn back. Um, so she she's in prison now, and she's you know seventy nine years old, and she applies for a pardon, but was rejected by then Governor uh, Hughes with a note that said, "Old age is no excuse for crime." <laughs> However, his successor, Governor John Dix, which I think. <laughs> Yes, Mr. Dix was more. <laughs> was was more sympathetic and granted her a full pardon in 1911 after she'd been in prison for two years. He commented that the 82-year-old was now too old to any longer be a menace to society. And let me just say, boy, he was wrong. <laughs> okay, okay, hold on. I kind of agree with this. I don't think there's, much, there's there's bad people out there. And I think we could do something better with our time than locking up an 80-year-old woman yeah. in prison. Oh, I completely agree. There's actually a whole Pat Oswald bit about this, about how, like, when you turn 90, you should be able to, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to try to do this bit because I can't remember it, and he's funnier than me. So, But he's like, you should be able to do a crime every year after 90 legally. You know, so like 90, you can jaywalk 91, you can shoplift under a certain amount. And then when you hit a hundred, you should be legally able to kill someone if you do it with your bare hands, because if you are choked to death by a hundred year old person, you were probably not going to last that much longer anyway. But that shit on pay-per-view, baby, I'd watch that for 50 bucks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Instead of like, remember that horrible, you might not remember this. There was that horrible thing in like the late 90s early 2000s called bum fights where this i remember bum fight yeah, it was not good um that was their predecessor to like fucking kimbo slice and all that shit yeah where they would just pay two homeless men to beat up each other yeah 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 i remember that yeah so this would i'm not oh, i sound like i'm reacting with excitement no. i'm not reacting with excitement to bum <laughs> fights i'm reacting with excitement to kimbo slice i fucking love kimbo slice like i love consensual ethical beating the shit out of people in their backyard that's what i love i love he that died recently didn't he yeah not recently it was a while back but yeah years ago? yeah okay um but good for kimbo though a great success story dude fucking he started doing this shit in the street in his backyard made it to the big time good for kimbo good yep yep long may he reign i hope kimbo didn't do anything problematic that would uh fucking i think it would have come out by now yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're good on him. Um, so she's pardoned. And from the, I'm going to read once again from Hustlers in Common. Uh, the 82 year old con artist returned to his Spark Hill home, and her husband, still as gullible as any of her hundreds of victims have been, absolutely refused to believe in her guilt, stating that his wife, whose court trials had bled him white, was a victim of circumstance and her own generosity. He borrowed money from friends to provide Ellen with an enormous fete to celebrate their golden wedding anniversary. Her children refused to be present at the occasion, long since having turned against their flim-flamming parent. (laughs) So 
did you catch the part about her husband borrowing money? I mean, I didn't think anything about it particularly. Yeah. So I don't think she was coming home with money. Ellen, no. Oh, Ellen. Yeah. So one, one theory is that she was stashing it away in all these different bank accounts all over the place, but never bringing it home and spending it on herself because hmm. Richard paid for all of her lawyers and he had to work it off. He's an old man too. And it like, and that's what she, that's what he said. He bled him white. Like she, at the same time as she's conning all these other people, she's kind of conning, conning her husband. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, I don't know that that's the one icky part of this that I was like, yeah, that's fucking gross. I don't like that at all. Don't like this. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna do that shit, at least take care of your family at home. Yeah, especially because he believed in you and did everything right. for you. But I think this he, dude made himself. He embarrassed himself he, taking he up. He was for another her. victim. He's another victim. Yeah. I really I believe that after all of everything I've read. Um, so Ellen couldn't help herself. Two years later, she's just been pardoned by the governor of New York, Mister Dix. Um, <laughs> she's seduced. Yes, she's back up to her sexual antics. Oh my god! At eighty-four years old, uh huh. A Central American businessman aboard a steamer bound for Veracruz. She had him so wrapped around her finger that he signed over the deeds to several plantations and had given her a thousand dollars in cash. Holy fuck. Well, that's exactly <laughs> what happened. It was a holy fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That is, uh, oh my, 80 what? 84. Holy shit. <laughs> Goddamn Aquafina puts the in this bitch. That's crazy. Uh, <sighs> so the businessman, whose name was uh, Jose Menendez, Contacted the Guatemalan, uh, the Guatemalan consulate in New York, uh, who wrote to Ellen at her home in Spark Hill. She wrote him back, threatening to blackmail Menendez for an additional two thousand dollars. She's like, oh. "I'm going to tell him that they that he fucked this eighty four year old woman unless you send me two thousand dollars." That was a hell of a grift. That is that is incredible. <laughs> It's like you're fulfilling like I mean I'm sure that like her 84 she was smitten for this young Central American long tan handsome fella and she got you know she got her fun out of it all right let's fucking take his money now <laughs> yep um so when asked to meet with the consulate at his office in Manhattan Ellen wrote back and said she wasn't allowed to go south of the deadline what does that mean I'm glad you asked that so I actually, I didn't know what this was either. So I had to look it up and I found this in the New York times. This is weird shit. The deadline was the innovation of Thomas Burns, the guy that we've been, the cop that we've been talking about, right? Um, who announced it on March 12th, 1880, the day he became New York city's chief of detectives, chief Burns, who had a force of about 28 men to investigate crime among 2 million inhabitants reasoned that the city's worst burglars, robbers, and fraud artists were found on lower Manhattan's financial district and its nearby jewelry district. So Chief Burns decreed that henceforth the police would observe an invisible line drawn along Fulton Street above the financial district's northern edge. Any known criminal found below that line would be arrested on site, whether he was acting suspiciously or not. The expression deadline was thought to have come from the Civil War when the Confederate guards at Andersonville Prison in Georgia 
were said to have drawn a line several feet inside the walls. Prisoners stepping beyond that line were immediately shot. So he's like, do not go south of Fulton Street or you'll be arrested immediately. Oppression, baby. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So now the part that you're going to like when the cop is actually probably a criminal. Um, because arrests below the deadline it always turns out though. How funny how it always weird, turns out that right? way. Fucking weird. That's fucking huh. Well, fucking never saw that coming. Uh, because arrests below the deadline placed a premium on quick identification. Chief Burns established the first mug file for detectives with sketches and later photographs of wrongdoers, along with other personal information, which formed a virtual encyclopedia of bad guys. The chief was not immune to benefiting occasionally from the gratitude of merchants and bankers. He testified in 1894 that he had made $350,000 through shrewd use of advice. His salary during much of the time was $2,000. Oh my God. That's a shitload of money. He probably made more than fucking Ellen. Not quite, but he made a lot of money. Oh God, man. I know. Here, Here you go. Here's the end of it. Chief Burns, who later be- yeah. listen, man, you know what would be a good idea? Profiling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's 100% what this is. Literally profiling. Yeah, yeah, for real. <laughs> this is, this like, if you is. see any of these people, arrest them on site. No, ex- no exceptions. Um, Chief Burns, who later became superintendent and then chief of police, died in 1910, but his line lived on. The policy may have been unconstitutional by today's standards. Okay, that's a bullshit line. It was unconstitutional by them standards. Yes, what exactly. the fuck is the yeah? Which amendment is it? Was like fucking unlawful, like holding of people. Right. I, that's, it's the fucking. It's in the Bill of Rights. I know it's the first ten. Yeah, that, I know it's the first ten. That's his idiot writing for the New York Times. Um, but as late as the 1920s, orders of arrest on site were being observed in the financial district. In 1924, unlawful imprisonment. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I'm sorry. Okay. Unlawful, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, in 1924, the police threw a similar deadline around the Midtown Shopping District in the holiday season. So, NYPD going to do what NYPD does, baby. That's one step away from if you see people that look like this, mm-hmm. yeah. arrest them on site. Yep. It's like one degree away. It's weird, too, because it's it brings Georgia into the story with Andersonville prison back in <laughs> Georgia. And it's also- you didn't notice. I tried to blur straight past that blame New York city. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's actually, it's weird because my office is on Fulton street. So we would be below the deadline. Oh, <laughs> we're on the south side of Fulton. interesting. <laughs> so I hope you don't uh, look like any criminals. I listen, I, I don't look like anybody. I don't think well, that, 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 that's the thing. Like we all like, I'm sure a lot of people got wrongfully arrested probably. because of this. Yeah. Probably, but they don't give like, a, fuck. a lot of people look alike. You know, we, we all look really similar. No, no matter like how much of a unique little duckling you think you are, we're all pretty fucking similar. Listen, I looked at, so we tried it. This visit, it didn't work. But last time I saw my brother Taylor, who is the closest in age to me. And we arguably right. look almost like twins. It's kind of spooky. I mean, we have different facial hair and hair and stuff, but I used to be able to unlock his. Send me a picture of him whenever uh, we get done with All this. Right. I, I used to be able to unlock his iPhone. The face mm. ID was would unlock when I looked at his phone. That's terrifying. Right? <laughs> it didn't work this time, um, but it, it definitely worked in the past where I would just, like, I picked up his phone and, and it unlocked and I was able to access his phone. He couldn't do it for mm. mine for some reason, but I could do it for his. It was weird. But yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Um, anyway, so uh, investigators finally caught up to her after the, the the Guatemalan incident where she 
fuck the shit out of a Guatemalan. You fucking named a movie. That's it. You just named the movie, the Guatemalan incident. Holy shit. Austin, we have got to sell this to fucking, I don't know, goddamn Warner Brothers or some shit. (laughs) This is a good movie. Like, you got some really good characters. You got John Grady. You got uh, all the victims are good characters. Babbitt is a great character. Burns would be a great character. The Guatemala incident and the slippery pussy. Oh, God. I don't think you can tell the (laughs) subtitle. Um, (laughs) So they caught up to her. Let's do it like Crash. Give it an NC-17. It'll be fine. (laughs) Everything's streaming nowadays anyway. So she's in her mid-80s, right? And she, um, they finally, investigators finally put it together. And they go to her house. They feel bad for her because she's an old woman. And they didn't make an arrest. They opted rather to lecture her about what she had done. And I, I kind of think that that's probably got something to do with international law because she was, they were not in the United States when this crime occurred and it was probably a headache and a lot of paperwork. So uh, as a response, she reportedly said to them, these are her words, apparently, how dare you? There is nothing in my life that is tainted gentlemen. You are looking at a devoted wife and a hardworking mother. Ellen, stop. Ellen, stop. (laughs) You're embarrassing yourself and your husband right <laughs> yeah, she, now. The story is that she like sat up on one elbow and delivered her little lecture. <laughs> I am a fucking saint. <laughs> um, Ellen, I mean, sorry, Inspector Burns estimated that Ellen had managed to swindle over a million dollars during the course of her career. Holy shit. Yeah. In 1800s money. Yeah. Oh my God. Hold on. <laughs> uh, I've I got to know. I got just to do know. like 1890. That's about when. Yeah. One million. How many zeros is that? Six. Uh, well, yeah, I know. I'm counting the zeros on my screen. <laughs> I've had too many margaritas in 1890s money. Holy shit. All right. End edit. End. No, you got to keep that in. You need to keep that in. None of that end edit shit. <laughs> Wait, you want, to see, you want them to hear me struggling with numbers? Yes. <laughs> you don't think I've embarrassed myself enough today? Uh, we'll see. <laughs> when you listen to it again. All right. $1 million in 1890s equivalent to the purchasing power of about $30 million, $143,956.04. That's incredible. Hold on, I, I fucked I fucked that up. Let me edit, redo. One million dollars in eighteen nineties equivalent to the purchasing power of, to about thirty million one hundred and forty three thousand nine hundred and fifty six dollars. That is incredible. Like I can't hate on that. I actually want to give her a round of applause. Thirty million dollars. <laughs> she hustled. That is fucking crazy. And this is arguably her second career because she was a school Listen, teacher. Ladies, if you haven't done it yet, get into sex work. Okay. $30 million. $30 million. Okay. Listen, I'm not one to slut shame. You do you, baby girl. Okay. $30 million. It's incredible. I'm, I'm actually going to go have a talk with my wife on this podcast. Thing. $30 million. <laughs> oh god Vic is gonna hate me i'm really intrigued first time i meet her she's gonna slap me across the face maybe like, what did you do to my husband january new york city let's go you're damn right so um yeah it the, the problem is is that she's estimated to have earned a million dollars but when 
she was 95 years old. She just keeps going. Uh, she claimed that she was absolutely broke. Um, Richard and her had set her settled into a very modest cottage. They'd had like a really elaborate, nice house. And then I don't know what happened. Either she couldn't, she'd no longer had access to the money or she'd spin it. I don't really know. Like the, the money in this case is a complete fucking mystery to me. Cause I don't know where all that money went, but she died. I don't think she spent it. I, I think she probably buried it somewhere like a bunch of old fucks did in the 1800s. And it was just never to be found. Or put it in a bunch of different banks. I'm not sure what she did. I, I really don't. That's that is the mystery of this is that what happened to Ellen Peck's money? Because she claimed to be broke and she was sick and they had to like downsize their life. They go into this little cottage. Um, Dude, fuck D.B. Cooper. We need to be looking for her Ellen's money. <laughs> It's true. <laughs> I don't know enough about banks to know like what happens to money that's in an account of a dead person. We have at least one listener to this podcast who could maybe tell me and inform me. He knows who he is. He can hit me up, but um, I, I don't know how that works and I didn't look into it. Um, but by the age of 95, she had alienated most of her friends. This is 1925. Um, and then on December 27, 1925, the cottage caught fire. She escaped, but lost every material good that she had owned at that point. She was in very poor health. And I actually don't know when she died Hmm. because there's a lot of sites that list that she had died in 1915, but this fire happened in 10 years later. So there's a lot of places that are really wrong about her date of birth, but apparently she died penniless still with Richard for as long as he was around. And it's kind of a vague ending to this woman. Poor Richard. Poor Richard. He's literally the only person that I feel bad for in this. I other other than him, I kind of love Ellen Peck. <laughs> I don't know. I'll, her kid never saw a penny of it either. Probably. Uh, I, I don't know. It feels like she didn't see any of it either. No, no. I mean, I'm trying to rack my brain, but what she what could she have possibly done with thirty million dollars? Yeah, that is insane. I mean, that is crazy. I, 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 yeah, I don't, I don't understand. I don't know where the money went. I just don't get it. I guarantee you it was buried somewhere. And, you know, of course, it's going to be ruined by today. <laughs> but our start expedition to find Ellen Peck's money. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it, it's, it's a weird story. I mean, it's a good story. I just love the idea of this, like, silver-haired grandma going out there and fucking all these dudes and i more power to her i think she's a she's like an <laughs> understated and i i mean i'm i did that weird to say this but i think a feminist icon you know like i'm you know i can't i think sex god ellen peck is uh, the title of this episode that, that that's it that's it all right that works i was gonna say <laughs> ellen pet fucks but we might have some problems with like the, the, yeah, censorship yeah, yeah. <laughs> sex god ellen peck works <laughs> well it's been a fun podcast uh yeah so that is ellen peck what do you what do you need any last thoughts um i have mixed feelings about ellen peck i uh you know all all the stuff all the swindling all the fun stuff you know i'm all for you know steal from the rich all you want that's fine i don't give a shit but you know at least take care of yours you know what i mean no, that, that's the only that's the only problem I have. Well, Richard shouldn't have to be taken out loans to take care of your sick ass whenever you rob thirty million dollars from people. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I I feel that way, but I also don't know what their home life was. You know, like I don't know what it was. Maybe she was actually broke and she needed him to to pay for the like he wanted to pay for the party. 
and the money was the fuck there. did she do did she go through electricity and put it all on black i don't know <laughs> i don't know i really don't know that's the problem with stories like this is because the information that i have is really specific to like her victims and how much money because there's court records that shows that but nobody knows what the hell she did when she went home you know apparently right. she was very popular in her little town and she had a lot of friends and then like slowly alienated a bunch of people i mean that kind of shows like what the world was like pre-internet too right it was great you could like you could just go miles away and have this completely different life and the people back home wouldn't know right not even that far right that's, that's fucking insane she's i mean she's only like an hour from new york city when she runs away and, and it takes them four years to find her <laughs> You know, it's like there's no it's it's so much easier to get away with this stuff. And and again, that's kind of why I go back to like this period. It, there, there's so many like this was like the perfect time to be a con artist or a swindler is this time because there's no Internet. Everything's disconnected. You know, you're just now forming what, you know, the, the laws that regulate this kind of stuff and policing right. that, that will actually catch these people and so they can get away with a lot i feel like there's a couple of missed opportunities for old peck uh going down the like the west and just ripping off some oil tycoon something that immediately came to mind like that would be a fun little adventure yes yeah, she never left new york um she actually did she did make one trip to chicago at one point and she ripped off a real estate company and quickly came back but she stays in new york I think she didn't wild. I don't think she, I think she liked the East. I mean, she was from around here. So she just kind of stayed around here. Right. Okay. I mean, it makes sense. I just, I think it was for the thrill. I really do. At the end of the day, I think that she just did this because she had fun. A fun thing to do. It didn't seem like it was for money. If it had been, there were other people that she could have gone after, but she didn't. She just, I think she just had, she was just having a a good time. Oh, good for Ellen Peck. Sorry, Richard. Uh, I guess we could go ahead and take this one home, right? Yeah, I'm done. I got nothing else. Oh, you got any announcements to make? Any podcast you're going to be on? Anything to throw out there? No, not that I'm aware of. Just this one. Okay, okay. We got friends. Check out our friends at Pod Van Dam, IWTV Guide, Wrestling Cheers, Super Fantastic, Axe Over, Sweet Stuff and Better Things, Super Chat Party, and Hard Headed. You can find us on Twitter. Check out my Twitter at Catch Dalton. Find Austin at Austin Agogo. You can find the podcast at Catch My Griff Pod. And I don't have any closing thoughts. I don't have any closing lines. Just if, oh, don't give up hope. Don't think sex ends at 40. Sex doesn't end at 40. <laughs> I hope not. Doesn't I'm end 40. at 50. Wait a minute. Does, <laughs> doesn't end at 40 it doesn't end at 50 doesn't end at 60 doesn't end at 70 doesn't even end at 80 there's actually you can ride i'm gonna send you a video that i watched as i was doing this research it just happened to show up it's a vice video about this 69 year old woman who's in the top one percent of only fans dude have you read the things about nursing homes yes seniors fuck <laughs> Those dudes, a fuck. Yeah, like that, that shit is crazy. And like the stories about like nurses walking in rooms and there's just a fucking just just this pile of brittle bones going <laughs> at it, and then fucking somebody gonna throw a hip out. It's scary, man. It's scary. Like, no, it's not scary. Do it. They got like what else they got going on? Let's do it. Come on, uh, oh, Margaret. Felt so wet and so warm. So. All right. Hi. Okay. I didn't need any of that in my life I haven't tonight. I felt like this since I was 19 it's, back in 1940. It, it is Sunday, and your ass needs to go to church after saying shit like that. Oh, Lordy. Oh, Lordy. 
Check us out next time on If You Catch My Grift Already. <laughs> Stay beautiful. <laughs> I said certified free. Seven days a week. Wet ass pussy. Make that pullout game weak. Yeah. 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 Yeah, you fucking with some wet ass pussy. Bring a bucket and a mop with this wet ass pussy. Give me everything you got with this wet ass pussy. Beat it up, nigga, catch a charge. Extra large and extra hard. Put this pussy right in your face. Swipe your nose like a credit card. Hop on top, I wanna ride. I do a giggle, rollin' inside. Spit in my mouth, look in my eyes. This pussy is wet, come take a dive. Tie me up like I'm surprised. That's role play, I wear disguise. I want you to park that Big Mac truck right in this little garage. Make it cream, make me scream. Out in public, make the scene. I don't cook. I don't clean, but let Aye. me tell you, I got Aye. this ring. Gobble me, swallow me, drip down inside of me. Quit yeah. jump out for you, let it get inside of me. I tell them where to put it, never tell them where I'm about to be. I run down on them before I have a nigga running me. Talk your shit, bite your lip. Ask for a call while you ride that dick. You really ain't never got him fucking for a thing. He already made his mind up before he came. Now get your boots, hang your coat. Fuck this wet ass pussy. He bought a phone just for pictures of this wet ass pussy. Pay my tuition just to kiss me on this wet ass pussy. Now make it rain if you wanna see. Some wet ass yeah. pussy. Look, I need a hard hit, I need a deep stroke, I need a henny drink, I need a weed smoke, not a garden snake, I need a king cobra with a hook in it, hopefully lean over. He got some money, then that's where I'm headed. Pussy A1, just like his credit. He got a beard when I'm trying to wet it. I let him taste now, he diabetic. I don't wanna spit, I wanna go, I wanna gag, I wanna choke. I want you to touch that little dangly thing that's swinging the back of my throat. My hacking is fire, Bunani the sunny is going and drying, it's coming outside. Yeah, I run yeah. on that thing, the cousin's behind me, I spit on his mic, and I heat trying to. Your honor, I'm a freak bitch, handcuffs, leashes Switch my wig, make him feel like he cheating Put him on his knees, give him something to believe in Never lost a fight, but I'm looking for a beat In the food chain, I'm the one that eats you If he ate my ass, he's a bottom feeder Big D stand for big demeanor I can make you bust before I ever meet you If it don't hang, then he can't bang You can't hurt my feelings, but I like pain If he fuck me and ask who's is it When I ride the dick, I'ma spell my name Ah. Yeah, you fucking with some wet ass pussy. Bring a bucket and a mop for this wet ass pussy. Give me everything you got for this wet ass pussy. Now from the top, make it drop. That's some wet ass pussy. Now get a bucket and a mop. That's some wet ass pussy. I'm talking wop, wop, wop. That's some wet ass pussy. Macaroni in a pot.